بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد موسیقی ابو یعلا ان از مسند ابن مند ابو نعیم الہلیہ ان شیخ البانی رحمت اللہ علیہ سٹیٹڈ صحیح لغیر او بلوبر میسنجے ہی سر صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم the children of the polytheists will be the servants of the people of paradise the children of the polytheists will be the servants of the people of paradise so there's the proof indicating that they will enter paradise and they will serve the people of paradise But in another report, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, whilst on the pulpit, Rasulullah said, this ummah will be fine so long as they do not talk about the children of the polytheists and the divine decree. This is recorded in Bazaar, Ibn Hiban, Sahih, Ibn Kathir, in his tafsir and others. So what does this mean? So the Prophet ﷺ is on the pulpit and he told us that you must not talk about these two things. And if you do not talk about these two things, my ummah will remain in a good shape. Children and the divine decree. So Ibn Hiban who recorded the hadith, he clarified Rahmatullah. This means talking about the children of the polytheists. This means talking I ignorantly about the children of the polytheists. So even though Rasulullah did not say the polytheists, he said children. Ibn Hiban said he's talking about the unbelievers' children, meaning don't talk about them without knowledge. So simply put, without going too much into all the fine details, there are four views amongst the blessed scholars with regards to the fate of the deceased unbelievers' children. So there's four views. So we should be you know, aware of this. The first is, they go to hell, i.e. with their polytheistic parents. So this is a view. The second is, they go to paradise. Meaning, they will enjoy paradise like the residents. The third is, they will be tested on the day of judgment, i.e. together with others who did not receive the divine message. Their fate will depend upon passing that test. There is a very famous hadith indicating that the people who didn't get the message will be tested. What is the test? One. Allah the Almighty and Glorious will say, you didn't receive a message. Today I am your messenger. Now enter the fire. And the hadith says, those who enter the fire enter paradise. Those who do not, Allah Ta'ala responds to them, you disobeyed me. You certainly would have disobeyed my messenger. Enter the fire. So there's a test. So according to some scholars, 
the children of the unbelievers who die will be tested. And the fourth view is they will serve the residents of paradise. And of course, Allah the Almighty and Glorious knows best. So what did the Prophet simply say? Don't talk about it. Meaning it's not as simple as you make out to be. So if a person asks you, where do the unbelievers' children go in Islam if they die before puberty? The simple answer is Allah, Allah knows best. But the two dominant views is they go to paradise, either as residents themselves or they serve the residents of paradise. But of course, you add to that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So returning to our beloved mother's life, entitled, Nearing the Proclamation of Prophethood. After the wedding, our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi moved into the blessed large dwelling of Sayyidah Khatija radiyallahu which indeed was an enormous change for him. How? For as is known to one and all, our beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi had been living with his impoverished uncle Abu Talib for around 16 to 17 years, ever since the death of his grandfather Abdul Muttalib when he was just 8 years old. His father had passed away before he was born and his mother had passed away when he was just six years of age. It was in reference to this that Allah the Almighty and Lord yes, later revealed to his most beloved messenger sallallahu alayhi wa in Surah Ad-Duha, Surah 93 verse 6. Alam yajid Did he not find you an orphan? and give shelter? Did he not find you, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, an orphan and shelter? So now it's important to hide that here. A lot of the translators, they translate this verse as follows. Did he not find you an orphan and give you shelter? That is not what the verse says. The verse says, did he not find you an orphan for our and shelter? So what's the difference? If you look at it correctly, Rasulullah is told, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that you was an orphan. And due to that, shelter is given to who? The orphans. So this is the correct translation of that verse. You was an orphan and shelter. Because of you being an orphan, the believers now shelter the orphans. Here, Rasulullah of course is mentioned as an orphan. He was going through first with his grandfather, then he went to his uncle. But he lived a very poor life. When he entered Khadija's dwelling, it was a complete different kettle of fish, as they say. With the blessed marriage, our beloved Messenger did now did not have to worry excessively about financial matters. Thus, though he continued to work, he was now able to take time out when needed. So obviously, the burdens financially were taken off him. But of course, being the head of the household, he still worked. It was in reference to this, that Allah the Almighty and Glorious later revealed to his most beloved messenger, Surah Ad-Duha, Surah 93, verse 8. Did he not find you impoverished and enriched? 
Did he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, not find you impoverished and enriched? Again, people translate it and they translate like this. Did he not find you poor and make you rich? That is not the correct translation. Did he not find you impoverished fa'agna and enriched? Meaning, through you, others are enriched. Think about everything we've acquired, isn't it? Because of Rasulullah. So look how beautiful Allah Ta'ala says, you were impoverished. You were financially in difficulty. But enrichment came through you. You was an orphan. But the orphans are sheltered because of you. So now he could retreat to the mountains to pray and meditate. Now why would he leave Makkah? People ask. Because the evils that he saw in his society greatly troubled him. None more so than the worship of idols. So obviously there was other evils, but the holy Kaaba was surrounded by idols. Over 300. So obviously it wasn't appropriate for him to worship there. You know, he, he was thinking, I need to get away. And the beautiful thing is, where he went to, you can see the holy city. You get an aerial view. Jabali Nur. So he went away from the society. Describing this state of his most beloved messenger. Allah the Almighty later revealed the same surah. Surah Ad-Duha, Surah 93, verse 7. Did he not find you wandering, I in love, unguided? So yes, again, you guessed it. Translators have done a very poor job. They translate it like this. Did he not find you wandering and guide you? So that is not the translation. The translation is, did he not find you wandering, I in love, and guided? Guided who? Others, through you. Because if you translate it like that, you would have to then say, Rasulullah was misguided. Astaghfirullah. Did he not find you wandering and guide you? So somebody goes, isn't that a clear verse that he wasn't guided? And the response is, that's not the translation. Look at the Arabic, the original. Did he not find you wondering? Wondering for what? He was wondering in love to find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, he wanted the proclamation. He wanted him to honor him, to proclaim the sacred message. And guided, meaning through you, everybody is guided. For 15 years, our beloved messenger and Sayyidah Khadija do shared a rich, beautiful family life and a wonderful marriage. They were respected by the Quraysh for their nobility and they were also loved by the poor for their generosity and compassion. So on one side you have Al-Amin, the utterly trustworthy On the other side, you've got the unblemished Khadija Al-Qubra Apart from their children who I've mentioned, the three sons, three, uh, four sons and four daughters, or four, uh, four daughters or two sons, depending on how the scholars look at this, there were other personalities also living within the blessed chamber or the blessed dwelling. So who was also living at the time with him? 
that Allah lays on, apart from his children. Yeah, Ali. Ali. So how did Ali enter this household? You know the narrative behind this. So obviously he was in the dwelling of Rasulullah. He was a, he was a child at the time. But why was he in his dwelling? And the response is Abu Talib, the father of Ali, was impoverished. So when Rasulullah was blessed with the finance, he got his uncle Abbas and he said, Look, we should take some burden off our our uncle, your brother. So Abbas agreed, he goes, What do you suggest? So Rasulullah said to his uncle, Let us go to him and you take one of his sons to take burden off him and I'll take one of his sons. So they approached and the hadith is in Bayhaqi and Hayat al-Sahaba and Abu Talib agreed. He goes, you may take a son of mine each but leave Aqil because Aqil was beloved to uh, Abu Talib. So Abbas took Jafar because Jafar will stay with me, my nephew. Rasulullah took Ali. So this is how Ali was you know, honored above others to be growing up in the dwelling of Rasulullah. So he was, so think about that. You got all the children of the Prophet You got Ali as well. As if he's another family member of the Prophet Who else, apart from the immediate children and Ali, were in the sacred chamber? No, Zaid. Zaid ibn al-Haritha. Don't forget, Zaid was given by Khadija as a gift to the Prophet So he grew in the sacred chamber. So you got Zayd ibn al-Hadh. Who else? So think about it. Look how huge the dwelling was. How lively it was. Who else was in the sacred chamber? And she, I'll give you a clue. She was called the second mother of Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi No. Salima was the first mother. It was Baraka. Um Ayman. The one who was the uh, Amina's like servant. Radiyallahu so, subhanallah, it was thus certainly a large and most blessed household full of people and activity. So, you know, think about that. When you say blessings, how many blessings were descending on that household? Subhanallah. It is also certainly worth mentioning that our beloved mother Khatija used to serve Rasulullah herself and not delegate this task to anyone else. Evidence is found in the Sayyid, which I will mention at the relevant time. So think about it. You think, okay, she's very rich. She's the wealthiest woman in Makkah. She's got a huge family. She's probably got servants. So she doesn't really need to do anything. Apart from, you know, uh, fulfill her functions as the wife of Rasulullah. The answer is no. She personally served. That shows that she had great love and affection for the Prophet Indeed, our beloved mother, Sayyidah Khatija, radiyallahu would also be most affectionate towards the foster mothers of Rasulullah. Now think about this. Look at her love for the Prophet Whoever she knew had looked after the Prophet at whatever age, she made it a point to look after them. So for instance, in Ibn Sa'ad and Istabakat, Ibn Ishaq, page 71, Sayyidah Halima, the foster mother, which you just mentioned, Radiyallahu once visited at the time of a severe and widespread drought through which Halima's flocks had been seriously depleted. 
Sayyidah Khadija radiyallahu anha thereupon gifted her 40 sheep and a hawda camel. So Halima was a, lived with the Bani Bakr, you know, the Bani Sa'ad, you know, a tribe in the desert, you know, amongst the Bedouins. So there was a severe drought and she came to Makkah and who was the one who basically settled up for life? Khadija. 40 sheep and a camel. You set for life. Why? Because we know what Halima did for the Prophet So notice she was always, you know, whoever looked after the Prophet, she was always looking after, concerned about them. And Fawaiba, in Al-Isaba 8-36, Ibn Sa'ad in his tabakat, Fawaiba was Rasulullah's milkness, and he would treat as his family whilst he was in Makkah. And Khatija would treat her with great respect. At the time she was owned by Abu Lahab and Khatija had asked him to sell her to her, but he refused. However, when Rasulullah migrated, Abu Lahab freed her. So let's look at this. So who is Thawaiba? Thawaiba was a blessed foster mother of the Prophet. She suckled the Prophet. She also suckled Hamza. So she's the foster mother of uncle and nephew. So look what the report says. Khadija had a great love for her. And who owned Thawaiba, Abu Lahab, the uncle of the Prophet Khadija said, sell her to me. Now why did she want to buy Thawaiba? Because she wanted to flee her because of her service to the Prophet Abu Lahab refused, meaning this was the time of Islam. There's no chance. Later when Rasulullah migrated, Khadija had passed away by that time. Abu Lahab freed her. So now this report confuses many. So why do I say that? How is that? How is this report confusing? Is there a famous narrative about Fawaiba? It is important to point out that in Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Nasai and Ahmad, Fawaiba being freed upon the Prophet's birth are ambiguous. For in that report, what does it say? So this is in Bukhari and Muslim. Urwa ibn Zubair, rahmatullahi, he said, Sayyidah Fawaiba radiyallaha was the freed slave girl of Abu Lahab whom he had freed. And she had suckled Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa When Abu Lahab died, one of his relatives saw him in a dream in a very bad state and asked him, what have you found? Abu Lahab replied, I have not found any rest since I left you, except that I have been given water to drink in this, the space between his finger and the other fingers. And that is because of my freeing Thawaiba. So let's look at this. So this is a very famous report. So Thawaiba was freed by Abu Lahab. But does the hadith mention he freed her upon Rasulullah's birth? It doesn't mention that. What does it say? She was a freed slave of Abu Lahab. She had suckled the Prophet. <laughs> then Abu Lahab, after he had died and he was now being punished, he was allowed to drink from between his thumb and his fingers. Because why is that? He goes, because I freed Thawaiba. <laughs> now think about that. He was given a relief from punishment because he freed the foster mother of Rasulullah. But it doesn't mention upon his birth. 
nor it does not explicitly mention that Abu Lahab had manumitted her at the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Thus it appears, and Allah subhanahu wa taala knows best that Thawaiba radiyallahu was manumitted in connection with Rasulullah's migration, as explicitly mentioned in the report of Khadija. Let's go back to the report. What does it say in Al Isaba ibn Isaad? Khadija goes. Please sell her to me. Well, hang on a minute. Khadija was she married to the Prophet? Upon upon uh, it doesn't make any sense. The Prophet is just born. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So where's Khadija? Why is Khadija asking to sell her? And Abu Lahab was no. Then the Hadith says when Rasulullah migrated, Abu Lahab freed her. Nothing to do with his birth. So why is this important to highlight? Because some people use that report as an indirect proof of Milad al-Nabi. And it's true, they write in one respect. So what do I mean? The statements they make is, if an unbeliever who Allah has condemned in the Quran and revealed a surah about, surah Lahab, has benefited because of freeing the foster mother of Rasulullah, that's correct. But then they add, upon the birth of the Prophet, where does it say that? It doesn't mention the birth of the Prophet. So again, this isn't really a strong proof. It's an indirect inference of this. And note, Khadija wanted, so why am I mentioning here? Because Khadija wanted to benefit, to help everybody who helped the Prophet. So why is this so beautiful? Because when Khadija passed away and went to Jannat al-Firdos, Rasulullah, Repaid that in kind. Anybody who Khadija loved, he would then seek out those men and women and would honor them. Right? So people say, "Oh, that's because Mashallah, he had the greatest character." Of course, he had the greatest character. But what was he actually doing there? And the scholars say because Khadija was doing the same for him. Anybody who helped Rasulullah had a connection with Rasulullah. She wanted to honor them. So Rasulullah was doing exactly the same. After Khadija left the world, Radiyallah. So note the intense love they had for each other. Subhanallah. Subhanallah, such was a glimpse into Khadija's love for the august family of Rasulullah. So note, why is that important to highlight? So let me test you out again. There are four signs of love. Otherwise, it's just a statement you're making. What are the four signs of love? And this proves you have a genuine love for whatever you're discussing. So what's the first sign? Love what they love. You love what they love. Was Khadija doing that? That's a sign of love. Second sign. Mention them frequently. Mention them frequently. The Prophet said, He who loves something mentions it frequently. In Abu Nu'aym al-Hiliya. Sayyid. Third sign. Emulation. Say, if you love Allah, follow me, follow the Prophet. When you copy the follow him, that's a sign of love. So you got love what he will love what they love. Emulation. Mention them frequently. And what's the fourth sign? I always forget the fourth myself. <laughs> but there's a fourth sign. So these are the four signs of love. So now you apply it to yourself. 
you know, do we emulate the Prophet as a sign of love? Do we talk him about him frequently? That's a sign of love. Do we love whatever he loves? That's a sign of love. And there's a there's a fourth. So Lord, these are the signs that you truly love. As Khatija had every single one to the maximum level of beloved mother at the end. So all I mentioned today was now needing the proclamation of prophethood. So even though we spent nine sessions thus far, we still haven't reached the time and revelations this end. Look how much you've missed out of Rasulullah's life. We're now getting near that time of revelation. But we're setting the stage. And even by setting the stage, we see that there's much to learn. And Surah Duha, you should be very careful when translating that. You know, how disastrous a translation. Did he not find you wandering and guide you? Where does it say that? Did he not find you wandering in love and guided? Guided others through you. You know, what a huge difference in the translation. And that's why people say, oh, he didn't know. He, he was oblivious before prophethood. Because <laughs> the Quran says it. The Quran doesn't say that. That's what you say. And notice it says, did he not find you an orphan? And, they, and the translation again, oh, Tawbah. Did he not find you an orphan and give you shelter? It doesn't say that. Did he not find you an orphan and shelter? I the orphans through you. Did he not find you poor and enrich others through you? So again, you have to be very careful with the Quran, but unfortunately, even translation, forget about tafsir, even translations. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves from misguidance. Are there any questions you are asking?